Thank you, Kiara. Merry Christmas, everyone. How are we? I put on a Christmas sweater for you. Somebody called me a chubby Mr. Rogers, but it's no big deal. No big deal. To me, one of the greatest stories ever told is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's a seasonal ghost story that's really actually quite dark, and it's filled with colorful characters, and it's brimming with redemption. But the reason I bring it up tonight at our very first Christmas service here at Collective Church is because it holds one of the most intuitive, spiritual, and heartbreaking characters, I think, in literature's history, and that is Timothy Cratchit, also called Tiny Tim. Now, if you're familiar with the seasonal tale, you'll remember that Tiny Tim was, dis- was a disabled child. And he was, very, uh, he was a very sick little boy who needed, uh, most often, uh, the assistance of a crutch. But there's this great moment in Dickens' book where Mrs. Cratchit asked Bob Cratchit, how is Tiny Tim in church? And Bob, Tiny Tim's father, responds, he was as good as gold. And he said, and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much, and thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. It might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Uh, That line has always been, to me, uh, a strong sort of poke in the heart. It's this bittersweet moment and a grounding of all that is Christmas. See, this Christmas season, what I'd like us to do tonight is exactly what Tiny Tim would have wanted. And that is for us to remember. I want us to remember this Christmas season or, or, or what church tradition would call Advent. You see, it is an invitation and a beseeching to do just that. To remember, to wonder, to ponder, and to reflect on why Christmas is the most wonderful time of year. And why, you know, kids jingle belling and everyone telling you to be of good cheer, it's the most wonderful time of year. Now, there's a difference between simply remembering... And then, and, then, and then reflecting. You see, there's remembering. Like, baby, seven-ounce Jesus. You know, got it. God, I know about that. There's remembering, yes, stars and shepherds. There's remembering virgin birth. Got it. I remember. That's important. But then there is reflecting. There is reflecting. And that is to ask questions. That is to think intentionally. That is to welcome into our hearts and minds, uh, you know, challenges to our generosity, to our compassion, to our motivation. That kind of reflecting is the pondering and the wondering that is supposed to happen in this season. Mother uh, Mary Frances um, wrote a lot about Advent and, and the Incarnation. She has this little poetic moment where she likened the reflecting that we're talking about. She likened it to someone holding a jewel in their hands. And she says they, they, they mull it over and they turn it over and over in their hands and they stare at it and they hold it. So tonight I want to hold it and mull it over like a jewel in our hands. 
So my hope is, yes, we remember tonight the season and an advent, but I hope that it's the reflection that changes us into the new year. So here's what we're going to do for the next two weeks. Uh, next two weeks, next week, we'll focus much more on Jesus and his birth and shepherds and the angelic chorus. But tonight, I want to talk about the annunciation from the angel Gabriel about the incarnation. The announcement to Mary that she'll soon be ego prego. Like, that's what I want to focus on tonight. Because it's, because it's in Mary's response to the angel's good news. It's in Mary's remembrance and reflection that we'll find our application for tonight. And so as we look at Mary's call to remember and reflect, what we're looking to remember and reflect is, is the promises. It's the possibilities, and it is the person. Now, I'm assuming a bunch of us here, we all get it. It's nothing really groundbreaking as far as Christmas sermons go. I mean, this is what we drove 50 minutes to hear or 10 minutes. I mean, this is nothing new. See, I can only assume in a room this size, for the majority, it is Christian. But there are some here who don't profess and confess Jesus as Lord of, over, you know, of king over their life. But still, you probably know the story. You probably know the story. I mean, there are churches around L.A. and in California and beyond where there are people coming to hear the meaning of Christmas, even in this moment. And both believers and unbelievers alike are, are crowding into wooden pews and they're holding Bibles and they're hearing the meaning of Christmas over and over again and once again. See, it's really a story that so many of us have heard year in and year out. See, we've read the picture books. We've been dragged there by our parents, you know, once or twice a year. We've been, you know, we've driven by the plastic lawn ornament nativity set. We know that. We've even heard Charlie Brown preach the gospel in his Christmas special. So essentially, the call to remember is just that, because in a lot of ways, there's nothing really new about Christmas. I mean, Jesus was a baby? What theological magic is this? Like, that's, that's nothing new. There's no new revelation uh, that I can bring you, but, but hear me, I, I believe that's the point. There's nothing new I can tell you, and I believe that's the point. Christmas is, as it always has been, is about the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, being born of a virgin. Christmas is about God entering this life. It's about his birth, about his incarnation, and this wild, outrageous, wonderful truth that the holy God became human. The increase of divinity and mystery, and that the utmost met humanity in a little town called Bethlehem. And that, my friends, in my opinion, is a story worth retelling. That is a sermon worth rehearing. And Collective Church, for us tonight, it's a a truth worth repeating. It needs no doctoring up on my part. It needs no decorating. And BT dubs, I'm going to have Christmas one-liners all night. Try and keep up. So it needs no decorating. And that's what, so that's what I want to do tonight. Because yes, there'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow, see? But there's also, there's also in this season, in this time, an invitation to remember. An invitation. And this is how we are to approach, not just 2015 Christmas, every Christmas. Every Christmas has an invitation to remember and reflect. To once again enter the story. And think about how men and women of the Old Testament, how they lived in exile, how they lived in oppression, how they lived in conflict and animosity. 
And for every day, every day for them was a day of waiting. Like a very, very, very long wedding engagement. Some of you right now are like, holla, I know that. It's like, you know, the 4.05 at 5.30 p.m. on a Monday. Ah, just waiting and waiting. See, for us, Christmas in so many ways is about the past. But for the people of the days of old, it was their future. So Advent being all about who and what is to come, that allows the Christmas season, instead of just being about then and there, it really highlights the tension of now. It highlights the tension of now. Advent is this reflection of exploring what we have now as we look towards the past in anticipation of what's to come. It reminds us that we exist in the now and not yet, and it highlights again the tension of the present. It's saying, it's actually saying, and I was thinking, it, 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 it's saying sit in the traffic jam. Advent is saying sit in the traffic jam. Christmas season is saying enjoy the 405 and the delight in that time. It's saying do not worry. Advent saying is do not worry and allow this, this traffic jam to be transformative. See, the Christmas season is, is this preacher, so to speak, on the soapbox saying don't fret. Saying, do not worry. Something better is coming. See, the Christmas season is saying, do not fret, do not worry. Somebody is coming. A king is coming. A new rule and reign is coming. Do not worry. There will be an end to anxiety and worry and sickness and depression. It says, do not worry. Say goodbye to loneliness and gloom. The end of all hatred and the end of all war is coming is what Advent is telling us. See, the end of all racism and terrorism, it's going to come to an end, Advent tells us. See, it says, don't worry, someone wonderful, a counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace is on their way. Then lastly, it says, don't worry. Why? Because a baby is coming. Because a baby is coming. Running down that little rant I, I just did, I wonder, if that's how, uh, I wonder if that's how Mary heard it. Just like that. That wonderful, you know, that promise in Isaiah, that wonderful is actually going to be in your womb. See, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace will come by way of your pregnancy, dear Mary. That Mary, somehow, will be the woman walking upon the earth whose womb would be as consecrated as the holy temple and the tabernacle of God. That blows my mind that God would become a mother's son. See, Mary is slowly starting to realize that she is participating in what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call the great turning point for all things. You see, these are the roses that I think Gabriel is trying to get Mary to smell. Mary, do you remember all that has been prophesied about, he is saying? Do you remember the Most High God of Sinai? Do you remember David the King, and that all has been preached and prophesied about, about the one true king? And he's telling her this, and then he says, basically, its fulfillment starts uh, within you. Not just with you, no, 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 Mary, this fulfillment starts within you. I'm going to read verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorable one, the Lord is with you. 
But she is greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And get this, he will be great. And will be called, and here are the promises, be called the most son of his high God, and the Lord God will give to the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. And in his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. See, Mary's told of all that was and all that will be. Gabriel is preaching on God's promises. So the first invitation I want for us tonight is to remember and reflect on his promises. Now, even in preparing that for tonight, thinking about promises, I feel as if this talking point, this idea, has sort of lost its, its, its gusto, its punch. That the idea of promises in our lives has lessened in value. Which in some ways isn't all that surprising, right? Promises made and promises forgotten or broken, I mean, that over time weakens their impact. That over time uh, makes their form become fragile, their firmness become um, mush. Um, I was, I don't have a relationship with my father and um, we've tried over the years to salvage it, but it's as of now, dead in the water. But I will never forget when I was old enough to talk to my father um, and have a real conversation and get the truth on, on why did you leave my mom with two kids when I was one? My sister was 11 months. You know, why did you leave her? I was waiting my entire life to sit down and go, why did you divorce her? Why did you break those promises, Dad? That was my whole point. Why did you, why did you break those promises? And it was actually my dad who showed me in that moment that promises, if unfulfilled, were, I guess, never really true promises to begin with. See, my father never made vows or promises to my mother. He made uh, summer goals. My father never made promises. He made flippant, con, you know, a flippant contract, not a covenant. My dad made floppy words. See, essentially, any promise unfinished was never really a promise to begin with. Promises, in my opinion, are twofold. One, the expression, and then two, the expectation of its fulfillment. And sadly, we live and breathe in a world where promises come not with hope and security, but with an expectation of being broken. Right? From politics to divorce, from church leaders to loved ones, we've grown accustomed to mushy, mushy, mushy promises. Even believers at time like Mary need to be reminded about the true and great promise keeper. That is what Gabriel opens his enunciation with. In our infancy narrative, we have the promise keeper. That's what he's telling her, the promise keeper. Mary, wake up, the promise keeper. Gabriel is giving God, giving, excuse me, giving Mary God's track record, his resume. Gabriel's explaining that this God can be trusted. So I want to just think, what would that be like for us right now to actually know we could trust again? To actually know we could trust again. To not only hear a promise, but claim it. Friends, can we do that this Christmas season? Let's remember in this very moment, God's promises are very clearly littered all throughout the Bible. So the Bible is a book with either promises being made or promises being fulfilled. See, some are broad and offered to all, 
waiting to be seized and claimed. Some are conditional and some for certain people, places, and purposes. But each promise is not just a declaration. Get this, I love this line. But each promise is not just a declaration that God is working then and there, but it is a token that God is here. It is a token that God is here. See, Gabriel the angel starts by framing for Mary with vast arches and beautiful cornerstones that God has pledged to help and care for and interfere in order to save this disconnected world. And Gabriel says, you, Mary, are an important, important, important part of that pledge and promise. See, God is working here and now, Mary. He will be great, verse 32 says. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Verse 33 says, there have got to be people in this room right now who are looking for something real, for something concrete in their lives, for a kingdom with no end. Especially during the holidays where so much is fleeting and superficial. You know, he, he has let you down or she has let you down or you have let yourself down. That career has let you down. This conflict and conflict Drama and drama. Again, for so many, it's broken promise, broken promise, broken promise, and you're over it. If you're here tonight and you're sick and tired of the mush, the finishing nail in all of God's promises are found in the person and work of Jesus. See, not merely the words of Jesus. Oh, Jesus is such a great preacher. I love that Sermon on the Mount. Not just the words of Jesus. (laughs) but believing and trusting in the works of Jesus. See, his incarnation, that being him coming, God coming to the world and takes on human flesh. We have to believe in his work, his his crucifixion, the stripes and thorns and nails which pierced that flesh. And then we have to remember his resurrection, that the very flesh which had died was then made alive and glorified. See, God's rock-solid promises to you and to me are plentiful. They just need to be claimed in Jesus. Please hear this. For those here who are exhausted and in need of rest for your weary soul, God promises you this. In Isaiah, he says, he gives, this is a promise, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no, no might, he increases strength. Friends, if you need that, claim that tonight. Because rest is found in Jesus. If there are some here tonight stuck in the sinking sands of their sins, of their flesh, of their carnal lifestyle, addicted to pornography, wandering eyes, you're sick of being caught up in gossip, you're tired of your cynical and critical heart, and there's condemnation after condemnation and shame after shame, This Christmas, I encourage you as a friend, claim, believe, and remember the promises, friends, and have full assurance that God promises you this. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. And lastly, if you're in need of real hope, real faith, real love, and real life, believe in the Son of God that was born of a virgin so many years ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, that is the Christmas verse. 
He gave his only son that whoever believes in him, promise, should not perish, but have eternal life. See, God promises all of that and more to those who face their way upon Jesus, to those who point their sails upon Jesus. And it's all of that and some 3,000 promises listed in Scripture that will come about by a young virgin miraculously conceiving the child, the child Jesus. I'll never forget when I was eight years old, um, and I've probably told this story a million times, but I'm going to do it again. I'll never forget my mother, uh, we moved to Oregon, and my mother was a single mother, and I had two younger siblings. And so we moved to Oregon in a small town. We are paying like $11 a month for rent, super poor. But my mother told me of my new responsibility. She basically said, you are the man of the house now, eight-year-old little Casey boy. You are the man of the house. And if something were to happen to me, I need you to drive me to the hospital. So I have to teach you how to drive. Eight-year-old boy. My son's eight. The boy can't, he just broke his arm from running. I mean, the boy can't even run. (laughs) And I remember thinking... And I remember thinking, me? Like, little eight-year-old boy, me? Driving the mountainous, icy, elk-crossing road of the Pacific Northwest, mommy? (laughs) And no joke, she taught me to drive, and I got good at driving a 1980s Chrysler Cordoba everywhere. (laughs) No joke, Wednesdays became this. Casey, go buy me a pack of cigs. And I, and I drive down there and get my mom a pack of cigarettes. Don't think less of her. She's a wonderful woman. And I get, what a wild responsibility for an eight-year-old boy. What a wild responsibility. I felt like a child with the world upon my shoulders. And clearly that's a flea in comparison to the mammoth of Mary's responsibility. See, Mary is now given keys to driving the Chrysler. You know what I mean? Or the Chrysler. <laughs> You're welcome. Four people just left. I just saw them leave. They're all leaving. But it makes sense. We just read. It makes sense for Mary's line of thinking. It makes sense for her line of questioning. As it would for an eight-year-old boy to go, really? I should be doing this? Look at uh, verse 34 if you have your Bibles. If not, I'll read it. And Mary said to the angel, "How, How will this be since I am a virgin? See, Mary's in the moment of reasoning. Mary is reasoning and thinking and pondering and wondering and reflecting. We must never forget what all of this could be to somebody in that culture and society. See, sadly, this narrative can probably lose its grit due to familiarity. But Mary is poor. I mean, she's poor. And I want us to think about the consequences here for a, for a young Jewish girl going around town, pregnant, saying, this is Jehovah in my belly. Yeah, the God of Mount Sinai, he's in here. I want us to think, but that's not going to fly then and there. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph. She's betrothed. So now on the brink of hurting her betrothed or losing Joseph, 
Also, the neighbors then believing she is immoral, she's impure, she's a hussy. So she'd be an outcast. So we've got to get that this is heavy stuff. You can see Mary holding the heavy jewel and mulling it over in her hands, in the palm of her hands. So she asks what anybody would ask. She asks what anybody would ask and just says, how? I don't believe, I don't disbelieve, but, but, but how? See, we talked about this a little last week when we discussed the miracles and wonder. But again, we have to remove the fog that we're all scientific now and everybody back there was highly superstitious. See, they hear and see an angel show up and they're totally like, this is normal. This is normal. Angels show up, just another Wednesday. That's not what's happening for them. This isn't true. I mean, that's not true of that. This is as wild and uncommon as an angel showing up to your house tonight saying, you're going to be pregnant. You imagine that happening tonight? No. Simply, Mary is struggling to believe. Mary is struggling to believe. As some here tonight are struggling to believe. Ah, Jesus. Mary even struggles to believe for the majority of Christ's life in ministry. I mean, she is his mother, and she struggles for the majority of his life. My mom, she's so supportive of everything. She'd believe and support me if I got pregnant right now and told him, oh, no, no, no. My mom, I could literally sneeze in a tissue, give that to my mother for Christmas, and she would go, oh, I love it. Like, my mother is so supportive. Not Mary. So she's slow to believe, and that's okay. She's counting the cost. That's very good. She expresses her doubt, and that's really good and healthy. Mary's expressing her doubt. See, friends, express your doubts tonight. We talked about it a little bit last week, so I don't want to get into it, but there's a difference between doubt and disbelief. Express them tonight. Tell them to God. Pray them to God. Cry them. Sing them. It doesn't matter. Just make sure they've they've been said. But then allow God in this Advent, in this Christmas season, to remind you of the possibility of impossibilities. You see, where Mary's thinking about the possibilities, how? The angel reminds her, we have a God of impossibilities. And then we hear one of the sweetest promises spoken in all of the Bible. I'm going to start at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. The child will be, uh, be called Holy, the Son of God. So Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to make sure we get this. Not in a sexual way. There's been some cliques and groups that have perverted this. But in the same way, the Spirit had a hand in creation. He has a hand in the creation of this child. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her uh, who was called barren. And here it is. Hear this. Verse 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. There will be many things in your and in my life possible you can do things and and, and possibly do wonderful things and grow businesses and find a spouse and raise children and achieve good grades and win awards and get good at mario kart whatever your goals may be 
And as wonderful as those achievements are, and here's the truth for both believer and unbeliever alike, not one of them can bring you or I to the Father. Not one of them can give you everlasting joy. Not one of them are eternal. Not one of them come with certainties. See, but with God, but with God, with God, with God, in and through Jesus, nothing will be impossible. This doesn't, this doesn't mean, hear me out, this doesn't mean you know, you're going to win lotteries. This doesn't mean you're going to marry Ryan Gosling. That's not what I'm talking about. This, <laughs> this means God, hear me out, this means God is not limited by our limitations. This verse is reminding us that God is not limited by our limitations. You see, where we see a, a dead end, God makes a way. Where we see an ending, God sees a beginning. Our discouragements are never his discouragements. Our failures are his opportunities. Our hindrances are not his hindrances. Allow this idea to radically and dramatically interrupt your and my Christmas. Now, I'm not saying I can explain all of this. Virgin birth. What's happening in these verses. I'm not saying I can even understand it to its fullest. But that doesn't stop you or me. That can't stop you or me from surrendering to it. See, Mary, in this moment, didn't all of a sudden grasp it. Got it! She didn't all of a sudden grasp it with, you know, unshakable certainty what each and every element means. Mary submitted in the face of an angel, and Mary surrendered. What she surrendered to? Verse 38 says, And Mary said, Behold, I I am the servant of the Lord. Mary just says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. She released all the unknown, all the potentials to the Lord. She released all the unknown and all the potentials to the Lord. Uh, Years ago, a priest by the name of Alfred Delp, who was in prison and eventually executed by the Nazis in Berlin, uh, he has this great Christmas line that is pertinent for us now, where he says, uh, this is the time when we ought to be shaken and brought to a realization of ourselves. Christmas is the time where we ought to be shaken and brought to a realization of ourselves, both Christian and not Christian. And, And... The only real realization of ourselves comes by the realization of who he is. You see, what verse 38, Behold, I am the servant, you are the Lord. Behold, I am the creation, you are the creator. Behold, I am the child, you are the father. I am the clay, you are the potter. See, all of our, our, our small little points tonight you know, remember his promises or remember the possibility of impossibilities are all feasible if you remember who the person is, who, who he is, where the promises originate from. You see, Mary can surrender because she believes what the Psalms say, what the Bible says. For the Lord is good. He's steadfast, love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. See, Mary can surrender because he's actually Lord and she believes he's good and he loves us. I believe so many... For so many, in the conversations I've had, 
and the counseling appointments I've had as a counselor, heartaches and frustrations come not from small or differing circumstances, but believing a big God is actually too small to handle the circumstances. See, all these promises made, I'm going to try to fulfill them. I'm going I'm to fulfill them. So let me ask this tonight. How big do you believe the Lord is? I know that's a very Sunday school elementary question. How big do you believe the Lord is? Think in your mind, reflect. See, is God big enough to get you a parking spot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is God big enough to cover your rent when things are tight? Yeah. Is God big enough to redeem hard and awkward circumstances? Like me and my, and my relationship with my dad. Is God big enough to, to be allowed to redirect our goals and our dreams? Well, I, I moved to L.A. for a very specific dream. Is God big enough to be allowed to redirect our goals and our dreams? Is God big enough that despite the unknown, we can call him Lord and surrender everything? See, your body surrendered, your dreams surrendered, your desires surrendered, your loved ones surrendered. So we can't forget that a proper understanding of surrendering isn't chains. I give up. It's not chains. But the cutting of chains for freedom to live abundantly. Famous author and minister Henry Nouwen explains, we can see that a growing surrender to the unknown is a sign of spiritual maturity and does not take away autonomy. Mary is saying, I have no idea what lies ahead. I have no idea, but I do know you, Lord, and that is more than enough. See, Gabriel doesn't speak to all the hardships that are about to come. Gabriel doesn't bring up, Joseph's about to freak out. Gabriel doesn't bring up, and this child is going to die. Gabriel doesn't bring up or speak about, King Herod is actually going to try to slaughter this baby. Mary just releases the unknown and fixes herself, fixes herself upon who she knows. And again, that is more than enough. The Lord is more than enough, not only for this Christmas, but for January and March and every moment of every minute, of every hour, of every day from now until eternity. Is there anything this Christmas you're holding on to? Is there anything? I would invite you not to barter or negotiate with this very big God. There's someone very very dear to my heart, who I'm very close to, that I think of very often with this subject, with this idea. And they constantly say, I believe everything the Bible says. But they got it wrong on this this one part. And so I'm going to hold on to that. I believe everything. I would give up anything. I would sell. I would release. I would surrender anything. But this one thing. And so this person, he says, but he... He has to be the one deciding what to give up. This person has to be the one deciding what to sell and surrender. See, Advent for Mary and for us means he is coming. 
means the king is coming. Do we get that? And he's not coming to be a king over a region or to be king over a palace. He's coming to be king. He's coming to be a good king over your life. See, Jesus is coming to be king over your life. Tonight, how will you respond? Bitterly? Where were you for this, oh good king? How will you, how will you respond? Same as always? Oh, church, I've been doing this for years. Another Christmas service. How will you respond religiously, legalistically, superficially? Or like Mary, in adoration and in worship and in humble praise, Mary, after all of this, she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord. Think about her circumstance. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And his holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let's pray.